0: Uh, once again, my name is Stuart Mazzell, and lead pastor here. Thank you all for being here, and thanks for those of you who are joining us online or on the podcast. We are going through a series that we've entitled Joy... Because we, uh, as a church, we feel like we need to grow in this area. And we also want to uh, go to the scriptures to see what God has to say about joy. And so we've we've seen lots of different things. I encourage you, if you uh, missed some of these sermons and you would like to know more, you can go on our website and you can find all of the sermons there. But today we will be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 16 verses 1 through 17. And at first you may think, what in the world has this have to do? Does this have to do with joy? Just hold on, we will get there. This is God's word from Deuteronomy 16. Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God, for in the month of Abib this Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. And you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock or the herd at the place that the Lord will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with, you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. No leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory for seven days, nor shall any of the flesh that you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain all night until morning. You may not offer the Passover sacrifice within any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, but at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell in it. There you shall offer the Passover sacrifice in the evening at sunset, at the time you came out of Egypt. And you shall cook it and eat it at the place that the Lord your God will choose. And in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. For six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it, You shall count seven weeks. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a freewill offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant... ...and your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are among you... ...at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make His name dwell there. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes... You shall keep the feast of booths seven days. When you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and your wine press, you shall rejoice in your feast. You and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns. For seven days you shall keep the feast of the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands so that you will be altogether joyful. Three times a year, all your meals shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for your word. It is uh, so needed in this dark and, and barren land where we need the word of life where we need uh, the water of your word we need the food of your word we need to feast on your word so by your spirit will you give us ears to hear and minds that can understand and hearts that will receive that we would embrace what you have to say to us today through these feasts About the joy that you want us to experience in Christ. For those of us who do believe, cause that joy to burst forth from us like a flame. And for those who are not yet believers, they have not yet come to the place where they recognize their sin and their need for a Savior. Holy Spirit, would you work in them today that they would respond with real faith, with real repentance, and with real obedience because we know that salvation, as we sang earlier today, it belongs to you, and you give freely. You lavish us with this salvation, and we are thankful. Help us to rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen. In um, 1980, I believe, the band Cool in the Gang came out with a song. A song that became a big hit for them. In fact, their only number one hit. It was such a big hit that this song has had an appeal for four decades. Think about that. That's, that's pretty significant. It's been played at weddings, at parties at sports events, it's even been played on the space station. And in 2021, the Library of Congress selected this song for preservation in the National Recording Registry for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. You probably know the song I'm talking about. Celebrate good times. Come on. But did you know that the song had a religious beginning? I did not know this until recently. Ronald Bell, who was the band's saxophonist, said that the initial idea for this song came from, wait for it, the Quran. He says, and this is a quote, I was reading the passage where God was creating Adam and the angels were celebrating and singing praises and that inspired me to write the basic chords and the line, everyone around the world, come on. Celebration. I have to admit, it is hard for me to believe a song like Celebration was inspired by the Quran." But apparently it was. Sometimes I think it is hard for us as Christians to believe that God even wants us to celebrate. For some of us being a good Christian and having a robust, vibrant celebration, they just don't fit together. But I want you to see something from our passage today And I hope by the end you will have changed your mind if you're in that camp of saying religious faith and celebration, they just don't go together. The feasts of the Old Testament show us that God wants His people to celebrate. All right, that's our big picture theme today. The feasts of the Old Testament show us. that God wants His people to celebrate. So let's dive in. All right, so there are lots of feasts in the Old Testament. Today we're only going to be talking about three, the three that are named here in Deuteronomy 16. I would love to talk about the other ones, we just don't have time for that today. All right, so just based on this passage, Deuteronomy 16, verse 16, we see three feasts mentioned. Three times a year, all your meals shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that He will choose. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths. Now, for many of us, those words don't mean anything. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was connected to Passover. Passover was that celebration where God's people had left Egypt... And because there were plagues that were going on, and the last plague was the death of the firstborn, and God told his people, if you sacrifice a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on your doorpost, I will pass over you, and your children will not die. But those who have not the blood sprinkled or poured or um, dabbed on the doorstep or on the door frames their children, their firstborn will die. And it was because of that that Pharaoh let the people leave Egypt. And then they had to eat unleavened bread because they couldn't wait for the bread to rise. So that's why they ate unleavened bread. They had to eat it in a hurry. So this feast commemorates that. The Feast of Weeks was to be later, and it was part of the harvest when the harvest is coming in. And then the Feast of Booths was to celebrate the fact that... while they were in the wilderness... God's people had to tabernacle. They had to live in tents on the way. They didn't have homes that they could build... because they were traveling from one place to another. So all three of these feasts... they have something to do with the commemoration... of something that happened in God's people's past but I want to focus on something that we may just skip over. Every one of these celebrations, every one of these observances, they have one word in common, right? Do you know what the word is? Feast. Feast. In in Hebrew, it's chag. Yeah, try that without like, you know. Anyway. Hebrew, chag, in English we say feast. A feast is a feast, right? A feast isn't the little cracker and the little um, shot glass that we have at the Lord's Supper, unfortunately. A feast is something a lot more involved than that, right? A feast is a rich, abundant meal. That's why we say feast or famine. Famine means no food. Feast means an abundance. And God says this is a feast. All three of these are feasts. We tend to focus on one part of it. Okay, they're they're doing sacrifices. They're having seven days where they're supposed to do this. They're having one day where they're not supposed to work. We focus on those details, and we miss the fact that this is a feast. What do you do at feasts? You eat, and you enjoy, and you celebrate. It's festive. Think about the context that this came from. <laughs> I've already mentioned this, but God's people, they left slavery in Egypt and they're headed towards the promised land of Canaan, a, a land that is flowing with milk and honey, but they're not there yet. Where are they? They're in the desert wilderness. What is there to eat there? Not much. And so God provides a meal for them. And what was that meal? It was a substance that they called manna, which in Hebrew really means, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. Right? And so the scriptures say that manna was like coriander seed. It was white, and it had a taste like it was wafers made with honey. That sounds, you know, somewhat appetizing. But think about eating that three times a day for 40 years. Doesn't sound too great, does it? I mean, it's sustenance. It keeps you going, but it doesn't sound like a feast. And then it's in the midst of that context that God says, when you reach the promised land, I want you to feast. I want you to have a festival. I want you to enjoy real food. And not just this manna. And let's remember, even when they reached the land of Canaan, there wasn't a food lion or a piggly wiggly or a Walmart neighborhood market nearby with refrigerators and freezers full of steaks and chicken and lamb chops. Lamb chops instead of pork chops because, you know, Jewish food rules. Now, what we find out is back in those days, meat was rare to have at a meal. As um, Paul Wright writes in his book, um, The Rose Guide to the Feast, Festivals, and Fasts of the Bible, he says this, the main meal of the day, taken late afternoon or early evening, was typically the equivalent of a bowl the size of cupped hands, containing soup, gruel, or stew made of lentils, vegetables, or foraged plants, almost never with meat. Summer fruits, such as olives and grapes, together with winter grain, were staples, able to be made into oil, wine, and bread. For most families, meat was reserved for special, festive occasions... Passover, for example, for serious hospitality or to enable hard workers. Most of us, we have meat at every meal, or many of us at least do. That was not the case for them. And in that context, in that context, God says, not only are you not going to eat manna anymore and you're going to have a feast, but you're going to have meat and you're going to eat it, and it's going to be a big deal. Like he says in uh, verses 6 and 7 of Deuteronomy 16, at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell in it, there you shall offer the Passover sacrifice in the evening at sunset at the time you came out of Egypt, and you shall cook it and eat it at the place that the Lord your God will choose. And not only that, but they even goes on to say, don't let any of it stay. Don't let any of it stay until the next day. Eat it all. It's like going to Riaz, the Brazilian steakhouse where they just keep bringing you meat after meat after meat after meat until you have like, you know, the meat sweats from eating so much. That's what God was saying here. Enjoy this meal. It is a feast. Celebrate. But if all of that doesn't do it for you, and you're saying, no, Stuart, I think you're just making a big deal out of the word feast, then look at the language of the passage itself, right? Verse 11. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. You shall. And your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who's within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow who are among you at the place that Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. Do you hear that? He's saying rejoice because of what I've given you and not just you personally, but make sure that everybody in the whole land rejoices with you that they celebrate this feast too. Bring them in, even if they're sojourners, even if they're fatherless, even if they're widows. Bring them and let them eat to their heart's content and rejoice. You hear that? And then he goes on in verse 14, as if if you didn't hear it the first time he repeats it. You shall rejoice in your feast. You and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, who are within your towns. And then in verse 15, he says it even stronger. He says, for seven days you shall keep the feast. Seven days you're to feast. Most of us, like Thanksgiving, we feast once, and then we like lie on the couch for a while in that, you know, turkey coma. But we don't feast very much after that. This is a feast that was to last for seven days. For seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place the Lord your your God will choose because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands so that you will be altogether joyful. Do you hear that? God wants you to celebrate because He's going to provide for you what you need and what you will enjoy so that you will be altogether joyful. That's some good news for a people who are wandering around in a desert wilderness, right? Eating only manna. Now, this next point is for the astute, still skeptical folks who were really paying attention. ...when I read the passage. I know who you are. Verse 8, Deuteronomy 16. For six days you shall eat unleavened bread... ...and on the seventh day there shall be a solemn assembly... ...to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. See? I knew it. Celebration is part of what we're supposed to do... ...but there's got to be this solemn assembly right? In in our society, um, solemn can mean formal, it can mean dignified, but it can also mean not cheerful, serious, somber, gloomy, marked by grave sedateness and earnest sobriety. And so many of us see that, and we say, See, Stuart? You're not supposed to celebrate. You're supposed to be solemn in the assembly. Thing is, first of all, maybe on that day you were supposed to be solemn. Let's just give it that possibility. The rest of the time you're to celebrate. But the other thing is, The Hebrew word there, atzorah, simply means assembly. That's all it means, assembly. The descriptive word solemn is an interpretative choice rather than a definitive translation. So depending on what translation you read, some of them will say solemn assembly, some of them will not. In Jeremiah 9, verse 2, this very same word is used. Okay? Very same word. And in that passage it says, Oh, that I had in the desert a traveler's lodging place that I might leave my people and go away from them, for they are all adulterers, a company of treacherous men. Not a solemn assembly of treacherous men, just an assembly, a group of, Of men. Look, I'm going to tell you this. Western culture often causes us to see the scriptures and translate the scriptures in ways that the original Hebrew audience would have never thought about it that way. I think that's something we need to take into consideration maybe the solemn assembly, maybe there was a moment of solemn quietness or just soberness, but it was still a feast to be celebrated. And if you don't still, if if none of this convinces you, at least look at how the people of Israel celebrated the feast of unleavened bread as recorded in 2 Chronicles 30. And I want to tell you, this is exciting to me. This is one of those passages that I go, wow, that's amazing. Here's here's what happened. The people of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with great gladness and the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day singing with all their might to the Lord. "...and Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites... ...who showed good skill in the service of the Lord... ...so they ate the food of the festival for seven days... ...sacrificing peace offerings and giving thanks to the Lord... ...the God of their fathers. Then the whole assembly agreed together to keep the feast... ...for another seven days. So they kept it for another seven days with gladness." you ever been to one of those parties that you just wish would never end? That's what the people of Israel were experiencing. They were like, this is so good, we want to do it another seven days. Let's keep it going. Let's keep celebrating the Lord. Let's sing with all our might and eat to our heart's content and enjoy what God has given us. That's the picture of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Is that the way when you've read these passages that you've thought of the unleavened bread feast? I can, I can admit it wasn't the way that I viewed it until studying for this sermon. Pretty amazing. God wants his people to celebrate. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, wait a second, you know, we're, we're not Old Testament people. We're Christians. We're in the New Testament. So we don't celebrate these feasts. So what does this have to do with us? We can glean from what God did then to know what God wants us to do today. And these feasts were celebrated in a certain way to help us today to know how we are to celebrate. And here's how we, the people of today, are to celebrate. Not necessarily with these particular feasts, but we celebrate what God has done. What God is doing. And what God will do for us. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate what God has done, what He is doing, and what He will do for us. I'm going to go through this really quickly. In this passage, notice the times where um, Moses talks about how there are certain things that God has done, the things that He is doing, and the things that He promises He will do. Verse 1. Observe the the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. The reminder, you were in slavery. You were in bondage. But now God has brought you out. Celebrate that. Verse 3, You shall eat no unleavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat with the unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you may remember that the, the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. So remember, you were in affliction and you ate that bread as a reminder of that, but now you're headed to the promised land, and you're going to have a feast. Celebrate. Verse 12, you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. Remember, you were a slave back in Egypt, but now in the promised land, you were no longer a slave. You've been set free. Verse 10, then you shall keep, the feast of weeks to the lord your god with the tribute of free will offerings from your hand which you shall give as the lord your god blesses you and you shall rejoice before the lord your god you see that promise when you get into the land god is going to bless you and as he blesses you you're going to give free will offerings back to him because you're so blessed verse 13 and 14 You shall keep the Feast of Booths. Seven days when you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and your wine press, you shall rejoice in your feast. And then he goes on to say all the people that will be rejoicing with you. Again, you will gather in the produce from your threshing floor and your wine press, and you're going to rejoice and you're going to celebrate. Verse 15... For seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place the Lord your God will choose, because the Lord your God will bless you. He will bless you in all your produce, in all the work of your hands, so that you will be, you will be, you will be altogether joyful. That's a promise of God to His people. And then verse 17, every man shall give As he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. In that passage, we see how God has blessed in the past, how he is blessing in the present, and how he will bless in the future. And for that, we celebrate him. Celebrate what he's done. Celebrate what he's doing. Celebrate what he will do. And folks, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. Jesus is at the heart of our celebrations. Food is great. Jesus is better. Music is great. Jesus is better. Enjoying one another is amazing and it's great. Jesus is better. Jesus is at the heart of our celebrations. Jesus is our Passover. Right? The lamb that was slain to take away the sins of the whole world. That's why we don't just rejoice as a church. We go out into the world and we find those sojourners. We find those who don't have a home. And we say, come and rejoice with us in what Jesus has done for us. Right? Jesus is the one who has led us out of slavery to sin and he's put us into freedom freedom to obey, freedom to live the way that God has designed us to live. Jesus gives us that freedom. We have it in abundance. Jesus is the bread of life. If we're thinking about that unleavened bread, that bread of sincerity, the bread where there's no sin found, Jesus is that bread. There is no sin in Him whatsoever. And He shares that bread of life with us so that we too can be set free from our sins. And we can have his righteousness wrapped around us. Jesus is the one who just like the Israelites traveled through the wilderness. And there was a a tabernacle where God was dwelling there. And the feast of booze was to help them to understand and to remember that. Remember that Jesus tabernacled among us the Son of God, God, very God of very God, dwelling in a tabernacle of human flesh, came and became the Passover lamb that was slain that your sins and my sins and the sins of people all over the world could be washed away. Do you have sin and shame in your life? Do you find that thinking about a holy God causes you to have fear and concern? That it makes you go, I don't even want to think about a day of judgment that's coming up. I don't want to think about standing before God because, like Gifford mentioned earlier, none of us, not one of us, will be able to stand on that day on our own merits. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all received the wages of our sin, which is death. The good news is that Jesus, as our Passover lamb, as the bread of life, as the one who tabernacled among us, he has come to set us free from slavery. He's come to bring us into the promised land. He's come to have a feast with us. And again, not a little chiclet and a little um, small thimble full of juice, but I'm talking about a feast that we will feast forever in the presence of our Lord and Savior who died and rose from the dead for us. And we will enjoy Him forever. That's the good news of the Gospel. That's the news that gets us here on Sunday morning when we might feel like we just need to stay in bed That's what we're looking forward to. The feast that Jesus has for us. Don't you want to feast with Jesus? Don't you want to know what that feast is like? Don't you want to experience more and more of the joyful celebration that God has for us? Then here's your action point. Be intentional to celebrate the goodness of God in Christ often. Gifford mentioned earlier that this week has been kind of a hard week for him. It's been a hard week for several of us. Many of us, maybe. I know it's been a hard week for me. In fact, there was one day this week where I was about as down as I could have been, I have been for the past year. And I was thinking, okay God, <sighs> I'm supposed to preach on joy on Sunday morning, and right now I'm in the valley. I don't have a lot of joy at this moment. And God brought me back to these passages. Then the spirit whispered those truths once again to my own heart, celebrate what god has done for you what he is doing for you and what he promises he will do and you will find joy in that and you know what spirit was right when you start celebrating god has really rescued me from my sin god is working in me now to make me more like jesus and one day there will be something so amazing that i can't imagine it i can't Think about it. It's so beautiful, so wonderful, so glorious that it is beyond my comprehension, and that is my destiny. That's where God is taking me. The feast that will outdo every feast. It makes me think about when I go to my mom's for Thanksgiving. Now, my mom is 84 years old, and um, she lives by herself, but she knows when her son and daughter are coming over, she's going to have a feast. There's hardly room to put your plate on the table because there's so much food on there. I mean, the food is just piled up, and then she's got food in the other room in case we want some of that. I am not joking. It is a feast that beats all kinds of feasts, but even that feast pales in comparison to what Jesus has for us. And that's what we celebrate, folks. We celebrate what God has done in Christ, what God is doing in Christ right now, and what God will do in Christ right now. And even if today is a day where we're in the valley, one day, one day we'll be out of the wilderness, we'll be out of the desert, and we'll be in a feast that will never end. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. So be intentional to celebrate those goodness, the goodness of God in Christ often. Do it every time you can think about it, and then let's celebrate, church. Let's celebrate all that we have in Christ. Let me pray for us that we'll be able to do that. Lord Jesus, we want to celebrate you We don't want to celebrate ourselves. We don't want to celebrate what we have as much as we want to celebrate who you are and what you've given to us in your grace and your mercy and your kindness. The way you've rescued us from this dark and sinful world and you've brought us into your kingdom. We're out of slavery and we're now children. And we have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. We have an inheritance that we can't even comprehend, a destiny that is beyond anything that we can experience in this life, even the greatest joys of this life pale in comparison to those joys. Will You help us to feast on these truths, to celebrate often this goodness that You've given to us? And Holy Spirit, would You work in all of us Whether we're unbeliever or believer, that we would have faith to believe that what you say is really true and rejoice in it. We pray this, Jesus, in your name and for your glory along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, our one true God. Amen.